you got your Bibles this morning, I want you to go to the book of Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to be in the book of Ephesians uh, chapter 4 this morning. And I want us to look at uh, something that's very practical that applies to us. Hopefully every, every time we get into God's Word, we know it's practical. Um, but the book of Ephesians, of course, was written by Paul under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And he writes this to the letter to the church at Ephesus. And when they divided this letter to the church at Ephesus, the book of Ephesians, as we know it, they divided it, divided it into six chapters, okay? And so you got to remember this. Now, when Paul writes these epistles, these letters, he doesn't, name, he doesn't have verse 1, verse 2, verse 3. This is chapter 2. It's just one complete long letter. And so what happens is the translators came in around the 1300s, I believe that's correct, and they added chapters and verses so that we could better just to, to get to the passage uh, uh, quicker, okay, and to kind of help us as we're reading the Word of God. But anyway, this book, the book of Ephesians, is divided into six chapters, and when you uh, look at the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians, the first three chapters deals with doctrine, okay? It deals with doctrine. In other words, it deals with uh, our beliefs. In other words, our position in Christ Jesus. And then the last three chapters, it deals with our duty. So you've got doctrine. This is a doctrine. This is what we believe. Then you've got this is your behavior. This is how you should act it out. This is your position, first three chapters. Now, the last three chapters is put this into practice in your life. And one of the key words we see, especially in chapters four, chapters five, and chapter six of the book of Ephesians is the word walk, okay? Is the word walk. And so Paul is telling us, this is who you are. Now walk in it. Now apply it to your life. Now do this. Walk it out. Live it out. And so if you look at verse 1 of chapter 4, look, look how he starts that. He says, therefore, now notice the first three chapters is all about doctrine. It's about our beliefs. He says, because of this, therefore, because this is who you are, he says, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to, there's that word, walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. And so he's saying, I want you to walk like this, okay? And he's telling, and he's going to tell them in the next three chapters how they should walk. He mentions it also again in verse 17. If you skip down in chapter 4, verse 17, look what he says here. He says, so this I say and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their minds. And when we, we read that word Gentile there, he's not just talking about non-Jews there, okay? But what he's saying there is because he's, he's using this phrase Gentile as what we would call a non-believer, somebody that is of the world. And so he says, verse 1, walk like this. Then verse 17, don't walk like this over here. So let's pick up in verse 20. He says, but you did not learn Christ in this way. In other words, living like Gentiles, living like unbelievers. Then he says, verse 21, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus. Jesus. 
that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit. Then he's verse says, verse 23, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind. How do we learn? Let's stop there for a second. How do we learn how to walk properly? It's by the renewing of our mind with the work of the Holy Spirit. And I said this last week, and I'll say it again. Dedication to the Word of God leads to discernment about what God wants us to live like, which leads to walking and delighting in the will of God. And so we walk like Jesus walked. How? It's by changing our mind and no longer thinking like the world, but we think like Christ. Verse 24, continuing on. He says, and put on the new self, which is in the likeness of God, has been created in righteousness and holiness of truth. Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor. For we are members of one another. Be angry, and yet do not sin, and do not let the sun go down on your anger. And do not give the devil an opportunity. He who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good, so that he will have something to share with the one who has need. Then verse 29, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word that is good for edification, according to the need of the moment, so that you will give grace to those who hear it. Then verse 30, we'll go to the end of this chapter. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. I'm going to mention that in just a minute. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Then verse 32, he says, And be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as Christ has also forgiven you. This morning, I want to look at one of the major pitfalls, or what I would call the landmines of the Christian walk, and that is simply this, it's unforgiveness. It's unforgiveness. See, when you look at the context of this chapter, Paul is stressing in the first part of this chapter the importance of maintaining unity in the body of believers. We can go back up to verse 2 through 5 and look what he says here. He says, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, he says, showing tolerance, verse 2, showing tolerance for one another in love. Notice that. He says, being diligent to persevere or to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, then look what he says, verse 4. He says, there is one body, there is one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling. And then he says, there is one Lord, there is one faith, there is one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. And so he's talking about the importance of unity. And he says, 
the number one pitfall in unity in the body, you could even say in your family, is unforgiveness. Now, listen, if he's talking about unity and the job of the Holy Spirit is to build up the church and build up the body, how do we grieve the Holy Spirit? Do we grieve the Holy Spirit because our cell phone goes off in church? It's possible. But that's not what he's talking about. You know how you grieve the Holy Spirit? You grieve the Holy Spirit when you tear down what he's building up. He's building up, and when you are tearing it down, you grieve the Holy Spirit of God in your life and in the body. See, the number one issue, as I said, that destroys the body of Christ is simply unforgiveness. You will see a husband or wife, they will walk away from their covenant marriage. Why? Because one party chooses they will not forgive that other person. Children will walk away from their families. Why? Because they become bitter. They become hard-hearted. They, 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 there's something their parents has done or the way they've raised them and they allow unforgiveness to grow a root in their heart of bitterness. And what do they do? They walk away from their families. People walk away from friendships. Others walk away from the fellowship of believers. Why? Because they hold on to unforgiveness. But look what Paul says in verse 32 again. He says, be kind to one another and tender-hearted, forgiving one another, each other, just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. So let's define forgiveness, what it really means, okay? Forgiveness is more than just a statement that says, I forgive you. It's actually a banking term, which means to cancel. It means to wipe out. It means to eliminate the debt. Now, let me kind of give you an illustration of this. Suppose I had a, one of the most expensive iPads or Microsoft little tablets you could get. I don't, okay? But suppose I did. And suppose you came to me and said, listen, I really need to borrow that for my presentation. I'd say, okay, go ahead and you can, you can have that or you, or, you, or you can use that. And all of a sudden, in your haste to go to your meeting, you would set that on the top of your car and put all your stuff in and then you would take off down the road. And when you went around a curve, all of a sudden you heard something fly off the hood of your, or, or the top of your car, and you look back in your rear view mirror just in time to see my iPad laying in the middle of the road and just in time to see the person that's following too close behind you run right over it. Okay? And so you come to me and you say, listen, it was an accident, I didn't mean to do this. Will you forgive me? And I say, yes, 
I say, but it costs me $1,200, and you, as long as you replace it, we're good. Now, most people would say, well, you forgave them, but no, you didn't forgive them. Why? Because you made them pay the cost of that loss. See, forgiveness says this, you don't owe me anything. That's high standard. You don't have to replace it. You don't have to pay for it. You don't have to do anything. The debt has been canceled. Think about it. The debt has been canceled. And in verse 32, the apostle Paul, he mentions Two different aspects of forgiveness. I believe it's important for us if we're going to really exhibit forgiveness and show forgiveness and give forgiveness, we got to have a proper grasp on these two aspects of forgiveness. And the first aspect I want to look at from verse 32 is what I would call this. I would call it vertical forgiveness. Vertical forgiveness. See, Many of us walk well short in forgiveness because we do not realize the amount of forgiveness that has been extended to us on a daily basis by Jesus Christ. We don't realize it. We don't realize it. As a matter of fact, in Matthew chapter 18, verse 21 and 22, Peter came to Jesus and he said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? He says, up to seven times. Now, this is interesting. Why did Peter get this number seven out? Why did he pick the number seven out? Well, the Jewish rabbis taught at the time that forgiving someone more than three times was unnecessary. So by offering seven, Peter assumed that the Lord was going to commend him because he's not just offering forgiveness three times, he is more than doubling that, and he said, what about if I forgive him seven times? But what does Jesus say? Jesus said, nope. It's not seven times, but up to 70 times seven, 490 times. Now, is Jesus really saying that once they do the 491, that's it? No, he is using a number that in those days would be almost insurmountable. You couldn't even fathom that somebody actually sinning against you 490 times because they didn't have Facebook back then for them to offend you. Okay, And so when Jesus says, no, Peter, not seven times, 70 times seven, then he tells the disciples a parable. It's called the parable of the unforgiving servant. And in this parable, I don't have time to read it, but let me kind of just go over the highlights of this parable found in Matthew chapter 18, verse 23 to 35. The first servant, remember, there's a king, and he's calling all his servants in so that he can settle their debts they owe him. And the first one comes in, in verse 24, Matthew 18 says it like this, that this servant owed the king about 10,000 talents. Now listen, in today's economy, 
10,000 talents would be equivalent to several million dollars. And so this servant owed the king several million dollars, and of course he couldn't pay that. And what does the servant do? He begins to plead and beg for mercy. And the king is moved with compassion, and he tells that servant, you don't owe me anything, I forgive you of that debt. But the amazing thing is, when the servant goes out, he finds somebody that owes him, I think the Bible says, a hundred denarii, which is equivalent to about $16 today. And he grabs that man and makes him, he says, you better pay up that $16 that you owe me, or I'm going to have you thrown into prison if you don't pay that $16. Do you understand what Jesus is saying here? Every single one of us, listen, we all have a debt, we all had a debt, we could not pay. It's in the millions and billions of dollars. You don't understand the sinfulness of sin. The very breath you breathe right now is borrowed. God gave you that. See, I know we, we, we seem to think this. We think, well, I didn't kill nobody this week. I didn't rob a bank this week. I didn't get drunk this week, so I'm good, and all those things are sin. But listen, there's a reason why Jeremiah writes in Lamentations 3.23, the Lord's loving kindness indeed never ceases, for his compassions never fail. He says, verse 23, they are new every morning. Do you know why you need mercies and compassions every morning? Because you use a bunch up that last day. You have used a bunch up that last day. And when you truly understand the holiness of God and the sinfulness of sin, you realize that I am a walking, talking testimony of God's mercy and God's grace. The reason why I can stand here today is not because I've done it perfect. It's not because I've reached perfection. It's simply because God has given me his mercy and his grace every single day. Every single day. Even if you just go to the two commandments that Jesus gave. Look at Mark 12, 30 and 31. What Jesus said, all the, laws and the pro, all the law and the prophets hang on. He says, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. He didn't say 99%, try that. He said, you got to love him with all your heart. He said, with all your soul, that's your affections, not 85% affection, but he said, you got to do it 100%, all of your affections. He said, in all your mind, this is the one that'll get us. We, we, we can admit this one, right? We had not loved God with all our mind this week. See, if you're worried about something, stressed about something, you're not, you ain't love God with all your mind because you're thinking, well, I can't, God can't handle this. With all your strength, all your abilities. And so I've already missed it. 
I've already missed it. And he said this, no, that you got to love your neighbor as yourself. And so when I look at the holiness of God and his standard, I realize, guess what? I need a savior. And thank God that Jesus Christ came and said, they can't do it. I'll do it for them. And when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, guess what happens? He forgives all your sins. The apostle Paul writes in Colossians 2 and 13, when you were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven all your transgressions, all your sins, the, the insurmountable debt I had, Jesus Christ Pay it all because he said on the cross in John 19 and 30, he said, it is finished. It is paid in full. The debt has been paid. I've been forgiven all of my sins. Praise be to God. And we need to understand just how much forgiveness God has extended to every single one of us. Just how much forgiveness he's extended to every single one of us. The debt's been paid. Put your faith and trust in him. And when you put your faith and trust in him and you repent of your sins, guess what? He cancels the debt. We don't owe anything. Now I know that's, a lot of, that's hard for a lot of people to comprehend and understand. And the reason why is because you don't understand horizontal forgiveness, which is the second thing. See, we think of God forgiving the way we forgive, the way others forgive us. Look what he says again, verse 32. He says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. See, we think because we have told somebody, I forgive you, that we've really forgiven them. But let me tell you something. There's still ways, just because we've said it, that we may possibly still be showing or expressing unforgiveness towards someone. And let me talk about three quick ways that we do this. When I'm walking in unforgiveness towards someone that has offended me, that has upset me, that has wronged me, that I perceive has wronged me, there's three things I usually withhold from that person. And it's simply this. It is attention, it is affection, and it is honor. Okay? In other words, listen. As a child of God, when I walk in unforgiveness, I can say I forgive you, but then what we're not care if we're not careful, we do this. We begin to withhold attention from them. In other words, we say, I'm going to forgive them, but I'm not going to give them any of, any of my recognition. I'm going to ignore them. I'm going to avoid them. Yeah. When God forgives us, does he avoid us? Does he ignore us? Does he withhold affection from us? No, but we're called to forgive as God in Christ Jesus has forgiven us. What about this? What about affection? So we withhold attention, we withhold affection. 
which means this, that when I see them, I no longer am friendly with them. I no longer show them any warmth. And so we think we've forgiven them, but yet we are withholding attention. We are withholding affection from them, but we haven't really forgiven. We haven't really canceled the debt. We're saying, yeah, I forgive you, but I'm going to make you pay this way. I'm going to show you I'm going to have nothing to do with you. But not only is there the attention, not only there is the affection, and we see this in marriages a lot of times, when the husband or wife, they, when, when they say they forgive, but they say, listen, I'm going to forgive you, but I'm not going to show you any attention. Think about it. But the third one is this, it's honor. You withhold honor for some, from somebody. For example, if I am walking in unforgiveness toward my parents, okay, Here's how I do this. Oh, it may be Father's Day, but they ain't going to call from me. Oh, it may be Mother's Day, but I ain't going by there. Or, heaven forbid, a parent will use their grandchildren as pawns and say this, Oh, I forgive you, but I'm not going to let you see the grandkids. Have we really forgiven them? See, no, we haven't. Because unforgiveness is what destroys marriages. It's what destroys families. It's what destroys the body of Christ. And it's because we don't understand what true forgiveness is. And Jesus Christ shows us what true forgiveness is. And I got news for you. Listen, forgiveness for a Christian is not optional. It's optional for the world. That's what Paul says. Listen, don't walk like the Gentiles walk. Don't do things like the world does. You are called to a higher standard than that. See, Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6, verse 14 and 15, he says, if you forgive others for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your father will not forgive your transgressions. See, there's this misconception that goes along in relationships that says this, well, if they really love me as much as they say they do, they would no longer hurt me. Can I tell you this? Nothing could be further from the truth. Let me show you why. Let me show you why. When I was growing up, I had different sets of cousins that we would sometimes go on vacation with we'd see them about every three months and I never had a problem with those guys but I had other cousins we was with each other all the time we fought like cats and dogs had I changed around them no it's just the fact that when you spend more time with somebody, there's a greater chance they're going to say something or do something that's going to upset you. That's what people don't understand in marriage. Listen, when you're dating somebody, you think they're the best thing that God ever made. They don't ever have a bad day. They wake up with their hair all nice and pretty. 
They're always smiling. But when you get married and you move in, it's not that they've changed. It's just now you're seeing them more often. And when you see somebody more often, guess what? They're going to say something. They're going to do something that I promise you, you're not going to like. It doesn't go by a day that my wife tells me, you don't listen. <laughs> and that's the truth. A lot of times. A lot of us are the same way. But we got to understand, just because someone loves you doesn't mean they're not going to stumble. See, James says we all stumble in many ways. The reason why they hurt you is because they are not perfect. They are still falling. They're still striving. They're still being made and conformed into the image of Christ. And we got to understand that, that forgiveness is me saying, listen, you've hurt me, but guess what? I choose to cancel the debt. You don't owe me anything. Now, let's get some misconceptions out of the way about forgiveness. The first one is this. There's a misconception that says this, that forgiveness means forgetting. It doesn't mean that at all. Okay? Forgiveness does not mean forgetting. Do you realize... When a human being starts forgetting things, that is a sign of a malfunction in their brain. Yeah, you're starting to malfunction when you forget things. See, I know that the Bible says that God doesn't remember our sins no more, but let's get something straight here this morning. You ain't God. You're not God. And if you forget, that takes the beauty, that takes the power out of forgiveness. Forgiveness says, oh, I remember that, but every time I remember it, I also remember that Jesus Christ has forgiven me. I also remember what true forgiveness is, and true forgiveness says this, you don't owe me anything. I am canceling your debt. Now, we like to use the story of Joseph a lot of time to, to talk about how great forgiveness is. But if you ever read the story of Joseph, you know what? Joseph did not forget what his brothers did to him. Not one single time. Matter of fact, in Genesis 49 and 4, and I don't have this up there, when he reveals himself, he says, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. In other words, I still remember what you did. And so forgiveness is not about forgetting what happened. Also, forgiveness doesn't mean the absence of pain, okay? That's, again, I say it again, that's what makes forgiveness powerful. That's what makes it beautiful that even though they may have hurt me, I still say, I choose to forgive. You don't owe me anything. So it's not about, there can't be any feelings of pain. Yeah, there's going to be feelings because you're a feeling person. You feel things. And anybody that says they don't feel things, they're lying to you. We all feel things. We all feel 
hurtful words. We feel them. We may not show it, but we feel pain. We feel wrong when, when we're wrong. We feel it. But yet we still say, I forgive you. You don't owe me anything. Now the third thing is this about forgiveness. Some misconceptions. Forgiveness does not mean there are no consequences. Okay? Forgiveness doesn't mean there's no consequences to what has been done. There's still a biblical principle that says this, that you will reap what you sow. Okay? You will reap what you sow. But the thing is this, a lot of us, we don't trust God to make it right. And so we try to put ourselves in the place of God. What did Joseph say? Joseph said, am I God? Am I God that I'm the one that can handle this and correct this wrong? Absolutely not. You've got to leave the justice to God. God is the one that is just. We are not the ones that are just. In James 1 and 20, James says this, For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. The anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. In other words, that word righteousness is the same thing as justice. The anger of man does not achieve the justice of God. And that's the reason why Paul would write in Romans 12, 19. Look what he says here. If you can find that, Romans 12, 19. I want you to get this. He says, never take your own revenge, beloved but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay. Notice that. What does he say? And he's talking to Christians because you use that word beloved there. He says, how many times am I supposed to take revenge on somebody? Never. Never. But what does he say to do? He says, leave Room for the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay. See, vengeance is not a bad thing if it's done by God. Now, what he's not saying here is, he's not saying you don't have the right to defend yourself, but what he is saying is this, you don't have the right to avenge yourself. You don't have the right to avenge yourself. You don't have the right to revenge, to get revenge on somebody. See, God is far superior at it than we are, and so you've got to leave it to him and let God be the avenger. And those that want to say, no, i got to settle this score, when you're saying that, what you're saying is this, I do not trust the sovereign of God that God one day is going to set everything right, that he's going to make all wrongs right. He's going to set it straight. Remember when Jesus hung on the cross? What does the Bible say about him? That he did not have, he did not, uh, uh, he did not uh, uh, give any threats. But what did he do? He willfully submitted himself into the hands of God. He knew that God was his defender. He knew that God was his avenger. And it's the same thing for us. It's the same thing for us. And so forgiveness doesn't mean there are no consequences, but the thing is this. You leave the consequences to God. You leave the consequences to God. See, there's still a 
cycle that's set in motion when you do something, as I said a while ago, that you're going to reap what you sow. But you're the one, you, you let God do the fixing. You let, you, you, you let God do the straightening out. You let God do the vengeance and not yourself. And then the fourth one is this. Forgiveness does not mean reconciliation. Okay? It doesn't mean reconciliation. See, reconciliation involves two parties. That means both parties are reconciled in that relationship. But forgiveness, as far as in our relationships, it only requires one party. It's when you choose to say, I forgive you. Now, whatever they do with it, that's between them and God. See, Paul says, if it's possible, live at peace with all men. And some people just simply will not live at peace with you. But guess what? It takes two people to make a war. And you know what? You don't have to go to war with them. You can go by what the Bible says and say, listen, I choose to forgive you. So, how do we all, how does this all work? How, does, how do we wrap it up this morning? In verse 32, basically what Paul is saying is this. Because you've been forgiven, you now have the ability to forgive. Because you've been forgiven, you may say, I don't know if I can find it in myself to do that. But let me tell you this. Forgiveness does not come from the inside. It comes from a source on the outside. See, we, see, we're so messed up in this world today because we go to these secular psychologists that will tell you that the problem is on the outside and the solution is on the inside of you. But no, that's totally wrong. The problem is on the inside of you and the solution is on the outside, which is in Jesus Christ, which is in God, and he is the only one that can fix the situation. And so I implore you, forgive others as Christ has forgiven you. Now, we know that this is the last verse in chapter 4, but let's go to chapter 5, verse 1 and 2, and end there. Look what he says. Therefore, there's a reason why it's therefore. Be imitators of God as beloved children. And look what he says, verse 2. And walk in love. Just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. What does love look like? Well, I'm glad we know the example of Jesus Christ, but we also have the scriptures where the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5, look what he says here. He says, love does not act 
unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. It is not provoked. Now look at this. It does not take into account a wrong suffered. That's what love is. That's what Jesus Christ showed us. And he's saying, since he showed us what love is, guess what? We should show that same love one for another. When you think about how much we've been forgiven, how can we say, well, the blood of Jesus Christ was enough for what I've done, but it's not enough for what you've done to me? You can't. You can't say that. And so as a Christian, you're either going to walk in forgiveness or you're going to walk in bitterness. And it's your choice what you're going to do. See, because as you're coming and playing, forgiveness will cost you. What will it cost you? You'll have to deny yourself. You'll have to deny yourself. Where yourself wants to lash out, yourself wants to get revenge, you'll have to deny yourself. And the second thing is this, you have to deny your rights. You say, you may say, listen, I got the right to get revenge on that person. No. When you are a child of God, you become a citizen of a new land. Okay? I know in the United States we have our rights and we want to defend our rights, but as a Christian, you don't have any rights. All you've got the right to do is the right to crucify yourself and take up your cross and follow Jesus Christ and realize that he's the king of kings and he's the Lord of lords and he's going to straighten it all out. So I challenge you this morning, child of God, if there's any bitterness, any wrath, any hatred, let it go. Say, I choose to cancel this debt. Why? Because the debt has been canceled for me through Jesus Christ our Lord. Can we stand? Whatever head bowed and eyes closed. Ask the Holy Spirit to search your heart. Ask Him to search your mind. And if there's any wicked way, any ounce of unforgiveness, you're withholding attention, you're withholding affection, you're holding, withholding honor from somebody because of a a wrong that you have perceived has been done to you. Give it to the Lord Jesus Christ and realize because you've been forgiven a lot, because you've been set free from a debt you can never pay, the least we could do is set others free that owe us so very little. Lord Jesus, I know this message is maybe kind of unusual. But Heavenly Father, in our everyday walk with you, we come into contact with others 
in our family, in our marriages, in the body of Christ. And Lord, because we're fallen people, because we're still striving, because we're still being conformed to that image, there's times we may say stuff or do stuff, Heavenly Father, that offends our brothers, that offends our sister, Lord Jesus. And I pray, Lord, the same way we have been forgiven, Lord Jesus, God, we would let it go. We would cancel the debt. We would release the offender, Lord, and walk in forgiveness and be imitators of you and walk in love. And, Lord, we know we can't do this on our own. But I pray through the power of the Holy Spirit of God that we would give up our rights and die to ourself, Lord, and release those and seek reconciliation. Lord, the memory will still be there. The pain may still be there. But, Lord, that's going to be the beauty, the power of that forgiveness is even though we're hurting, even though we remember, we choose to forgive because your word tells us to. And it's in Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Anybody been forgiven here this morning? Can you raise your hand and say, thank God he forgave me. Thank God it's mercy new morning by morning. When you realize how much he's forgiven you, guess what? It should make you want to go out and show and extend that same forgiveness to other people. Amen. God bless you. Don't forget Sunday school at 10 o'clock. Hopefully see you Wednesday night. Have a great week in the Lord.